Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, Tim Sylvie here, and today I'm delighted to be heading across the Atlantic to the US of A to welcome another guest host, a woman who's currently smashing it on TikTok and Instagram with her F1-related skits. Over the moon to have her here alongside me asking the question to today's guest. It's F1 Caroline. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Very well. Good to have you here. Um, you've got, you do podcasting, don't you? This isn't anything particularly new for you. Yes, yes. I host a podcast, but I also work in audio engineering. So I get to do all the fun stuff on the post side, editing out the ums, the likes, the coughs. It's so glamorous. Yeah, totally. And now for our UK, our audience is primarily mostly UK based. We have a small US um, uh, audience. But for our UK listeners, Caroline, just quickly tell them who you are and what you're doing. Sure. So again, my name is Caroline and I am based out of the East Coast of the United States because we all know the U.S. is pretty big and I make Formula One content. It's primarily meant to be funny, lighthearted, but still respectful towards all people involved, a way to kind of share the news, but also bring a little giggle into your life. And I try to keep it pretty consistent. I like to bring in some pop culture elements and use movie quotes and music to implement into the brand. But I also love working with any and all people that are involved in Formula One, learning more about what they do and how we can get their message out to the masses. Brilliant. And, uh, you're you're probably going to be modest, but Caroline's actually absolutely smashing it. You're growing by like what twenty thousand Instagram followers every couple of couple of weeks, every three weeks or so. It's, it's it's growing much faster than I expected it to grow. I'll be honest. I was never the funny one in my family, so it's been enlightening to see it yeah. uh, happening in the social space. Well, it's great to see. Thanks for coming on. Shall of I course. introduce today's guest? Oh yes, I'm so excited. Before we get any deeper into today's show, a very quick interruption. Thanks to a chance encounter at a recent motorsport event, we've got a new show sponsor, and it's something or someone that's a little bit different. 
Paul Loz has joined us for this season of the podcast and we couldn't be happier. We've been huge fans of Paul since first meeting him at the Spanish Grand Prix in 2018 and I'd encourage all of you to go and check out his amazing work, especially of course his Formula One art and sculptures. Paul's created some of the most iconic and important pieces of our time, inspired by racing history and he's partnered with the likes of McLaren Sky, the Senna, Lauder and Hunt families and loads more. Head over to pauloz.com to learn all about his work and make sure to stay tuned to this show for your chance to win an original Paul Oz painting in the coming weeks. Amazing! As many of you will know, sponsors and partners are absolutely vital to our continued growth. And without them, it's pretty much impossible to keep making content that you want to listen to and hopefully enjoy. We can't thank Paul enough for agreeing to join us and we look forward to loads of fun with him over the course of this season. So today, I'm very happy to say we're joined by a woman who remains hugely respected in the Formula One paddock to this very day. She's worked with the likes of Damon Hill, Nelson Piquet, Nigel Mansell, Ayrton Senna, Keke Rosberg, Lance Stroll, Jamie Chabick, Frank Williams, and loads more. She's a woman I've been aware of for a number of years and have heard nothing but universally pleasant comments about her. And in a small world like Formula One, that's not something you hear very often. She's seen and done so much over the course of several decades in the sport. So apologies in advance for jumping around all over the place here, but there's an awful lot to cover. We've had F1 world champions, IndyCar drivers, rising stars, pioneers, team bosses and pundits on this show. But believe me when I say that Anne is right up there in terms of individuals we know fans and industry players want to hear from. She's hit the motorsport press recently as it's been announced that she's consulting with Matt Bishop, the Racing Pride ambassador and former comms chief at Aston Martin F1 and his new agency, which is called Diagonal Communications. We'll touch on that a little bit later. For now, we're here to learn about her life, career, thoughts and opinions. And it's a great pleasure to have you on the Motormouth podcast. How are you? Well, I'm very well. And after that build up, I mean, I won't be able to get out of my office door after I've done this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All completely justified. Uh, I pay these guys very well. You know, I've, I've, I've I've done a lot of free meals over the years. Well, that is so wonderful. So, Miss Anne, is it all right if I call you Miss Anne or would you like for me to call you Miss Bradshaw? I'm very. In fact, I was called. I was called Miss Anne many years ago when I used to work um, at Road Atlanta, and so I got used to being called Miss Anne. So I, I'll, I'll answer to anything to be honest with you. But a lot of people usually call me Annie B. That's my sort of name in the paddock. That's um, I got named that a few years ago, and uh, so I'll answer to anything. Okay, great. Well, my mom raised me to use the Mister and Misses, so I might I might be reverting back to my childhood. But where are you joining us from today, Miss Anne? From Cambridgeshire. I live in North Cambridgeshire, so uh, about 90 miles north of London. Very nice. So take us all the way back, Anne. Where where were you born? Where was home originally? What was life like for a a very young Annie Bradshaw? Well, in fact, I was born very near to where I'm sitting now. I I went away, went around the world and then came back because it's a a nice place to be. But yeah, um, I was born on a farm, grew up with lots of animals, cats, dogs, pigs, cows. Um, and a brother who said to me, don't even get interested in horses, and all my friends were, because we have horsepower in our family, not horses. Uh, you're going to like cars. Um, so I did. It was it was, it was was easy to way out. He was 14 years older than me, so he was a bully. So uh, he loved the sport. Still does to this day. Was a bit of a rally driver in those days, but only, you know, very, not, not an amateur one. So, uh, yeah, uh, he started it, and, um, yeah, I've, ne- I've never looked back. Oh, 
What would we be without our brothers, honestly? So grateful for them. Now, you started as a team press officer in 1985. What brought you to that point, and what were you doing before that? Well, I actually started full-time motorsport in 1971. Uh, I went to work for the British Racing Sports Car Club. Before that, I was a journalist. I was a local newspaper journalist. I was a bit bored with birth, deaths, and marriages. A friend of mine who was involved in the sport ran me one day and said, oh, my girlfriend's just been to see her ex-boss. He needs somebody to work for him. Do you fancy it? So I said yes. And that was, say, the British Racing and Sports Car Club. We were organising F1 races, sports car races, Formula Ford races. And so that that's how I started in the sport. I then went back to journalism to work for Autosport magazine, did rallying. Um, from there, I then went to the to head, head of press and PR for... Uh, well, it was an REC Motorsports Association, which is Motorsport UK, so the governing body of sport in the UK, and press officer for the British Grand Prix, the REC Rally, the Cart Grand Prix, all sorts of things. And then it was in 85, which I was approached by um, an agency I, I worked with, who they used to run the like, the PR for JPS and Marlborough at the races, and said, look, we've got this deal with, with Williams. We look after their sponsors, and we've got Canon on board. And we want a press officer. Uh, would you like to come and do it? So I said, "Why not?" So that was that was that was literally how I started. That was that yeah. was that role as a press officer at that point. Um, is that a new role? Like, was that something that was already in existence, or were Canon kind of just like, "We want to get more press and make the most of this opportunity with the team. Let's call it a press officer and let's get someone in to do it." It, it was it was a very new role, and there were there were a couple of us in the paddock, both working for CSS. Another guy called Tony Jardine, who I'm sure you've yeah. heard of. Um, he was doing JPS, um, and and I did Canon. So, yeah, it, it was it was it was a relatively new role. You know, the teams didn't have press officers in those days. I mean, we didn't even there wasn't even a way of giving us a pass or anything because they didn't even know we. I think Bernie didn't even know we existed. But what do you want a press officer for? Um, but yeah, so it was it was a yeah. I think um, we, we were we were right right there the first press officers for F1 teams. That's incredible. So once you came in, what was it like to work with Frank Williams? Well, I'd met Frank before because in my job as an organizer, I'd come across him when he used to put entries into the race meeting. So I'd known Frank uh, for, for a while. So it was, um, yeah, um, um, it was great. I mean, I mean, Frank, the only thing Frank cared about was his team and winning. Um, and, yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was, it was very, very nice. But, but you know, if you didn't make the car go fast, it wasn't really that interesting what you did. Uh, so that makes sense. Uh, you know, t- t- typical. Uh, well, that's you know, in those days, that that was all they cared about, and there wasn't even. I mean, obviously, we had Canon, which was a it was quite a big thing that Canon came in. But um, yeah, no, I mean, Frank was very good. He was always looking for the next deal. Um, taught himself all these languages so he could go and talk to the French, you know, the the Germans, the Italians and that sort of thing. But um, no, he just he just let me get on with my job, but um, yeah, didn't get too enthusiastic about it, you know, but he, he liked to know what was going on. In, in the, yeah. did you um did, did you have much exposure to the the commercial side of the sport because obviously you know i suppose bernie was running a lot of things back then in terms of sponsorship but with the likes of a big brand like canon coming in um it, it'd be interesting to know what the sort of sponsorship value was at that point because my, my background sponsorship in f1 and and some of the deals that i was doing in the heyday before the, the crash you know like 60 70 million pounds a year deals 
What, what sort of values would the likes of Canon be paying back in 1985? Do you know? I have to be honest and say, I don't know the, the because I, I was literally on the on the PR side. I, I I didn't get involved in that. We had we had people like, well, in fact, the agency I I worked for did the deal. It's called CSS Promotions. Uh, Andrew Marriott, Barry Gill, um, Steve Herrick. They did they did the promotions. In fact, the reason they got involved with with uh, Williams uh, was because Steve Herrick, who was the MD then, he worked for for Leyland, and Leyland had been sponsors. Of Williams and he got very close, very friendship, a great friendship with Frank, and then went to the agency and then were the official sponsorship finders for the team. I mean, we had Canon, we had ICI, we had Denim, but uh, yeah, they, they, but they were big figures in those days. I mean, not not like today because obviously, you know, perhaps Williams had about fifty or sixty people working for them rather than five or six hundred. Uh, so you know, but but still, yeah, they they were they were. Fair sums, but like I wouldn't know whether we you know whether somebody like Canon were paying fifteen, five, twenty, yeah. twenty-five million. But yeah, it it was, it, but it, it it wasn't a small amount, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, Nigel Mansell. He, it's I, I don't think it's any secret that Nigel can be a little bit difficult at times, and and I'm sure he won't even care someone saying that because he's probably very very well aware of it. L- like you say, you know, back in those days. The, the drivers, the team owners weren't necessarily that interested in the press side of things, but you still had a job to do. You still had to get press for Nigel, whether he liked it or not. What was he really like to deal with in 1985? Was Nigel Mansell a right pain in the backside? Uh, I mean, Nigel's Nigel. He's, he, I don't know how to put it. I mean, the biggest drama was if you went up to him to speak to him and you'd eaten garlic the night before. That was a no-no. <laughs> oh, wouldn't have garlic to go to home. He couldn't, he couldn't cope with garlic. Um, yeah, I mean, Nigel, nothing had been easy for Nigel. I mean, I don't know whether you've seen the, the, the new documentary, the, the Mansell Red 5 documentary that's just come out um, this last weekend. But it, again, Nigel fought his way through no money, all sorts of injuries. Um, and he'd always had to fight. Um so, you know, he was used to fighting and perhaps being a bit prickly about things because he was so determined to get there and people weren't always making his, his life easy. Um, and I, I tell you, I'll forgive him everything, every difficulty or whatever it is, because that man could drive. Oh, yeah. He was a brilliant driver. And he, he as I say, he was an 11 tenths driver. So, yeah, yeah, he could be difficult. Um, but, God, you know, at the end of the day, he got in that car and wrung its neck, and uh, and yeah, the, the, the media loved him, the fans loved him, and we had a group of of journalists who just hung on his every word. You know, they're all from yeah. the obviously from the the Sun, the Mirror, the Times, the Telegraph, the Express. They and they loved him because he kept them in jobs. He get, he kept them going to races because he would always give them great quotes. He'd ha- we'd have a few dramas, um, but yeah, he's uh, no, he's a important part of. British motorsport history and, without and, Nigel and so Mansell, is his moustache. So is his moustache, <laughs> and without Nigel, it's been a lot less exciting. And yeah, oh, well, I mean, every so often when he shaved the moustache off, that that was a bigger story than what he'd just done in the car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and what's Formula One without a little bit of drama? But we won't we won't let you pick favourites. But who has been a real joy to work with? Oh, 
I mean, that is like you're saying the joy. That is like asking somebody to say, which is your favourite child when they've got... (laughs) Ahead of this, I actually decided to look up a few facts of of the people I've worked with. In Formula One, in the Formula One paddock, I have worked with 32 different drivers. Wow. Wow. Um, I've then another seven who have been Formula One drivers, but I dealt with them perhaps in Formula BMW or sports cars and eight world champions um ricardo patrese was just a gentleman mm. loved ricardo um seb Bettel, i was there when he did his first race in f1 i came across him earlier through bmw they were great but uh, you know damon they, they all had their good sides and their bad sides but i suppose one of the most amazing people and most inspirational people I've worked with was also Alex Zanardi, who mm. I worked with at BMW after his F1. I, I'd known him in his F1 days, but I hadn't worked with him. Then I worked with him with BMW and um, gosh, what a joy. That Now he was a joy to work with. So were you out there traveling to every single race and was that difficult? I mean, everybody travels. I mean, there's a lot of people that travel to a lot of the races even now. And we hear about how taxing and how tiring it is. Was it also just as taxing and tiring then? Well, we only did 16 races. You know, we didn't do 24. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it wasn't as taxing. We didn't do as many flyaways. We we weren't all over the world. We didn't go to, you know, America three times. We didn't, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was a different world because say F1, was more Europe centric. We had, you know, the flyaways. Okay, we, we'd go to Detroit. We'd, you know, then obviously we we then went to Suzuka and we went to Adelaide and places like that. Um, but no, I mean, I was a lot younger then. And when you're younger, you know, you, you it just you just go with the flow, and it was exciting. And uh, no, it, it was it it wasn't a chore because if you're enjoying yourself, it's really not too difficult to go off and get on a plane and head somewhere exotic that you've never been to before. Sure. What was your, what was your favorite? Where, where did you go to? What did you always look forward to as a destination? Well, yeah, fun. <laughs> I mean, love, I used to love Adelaide. I, I have to be honest and say, I've never forgiven Melbourne for taking the race away from Adelaide. Adelaide was Amazing. I mean, it did help. It was the last race of the season and we all went on holiday after that. Um, but Adelaide was great. Always love Montreal. I mean, parties and the, the yeah, food and the people there. Uh, and then if you're going to talk about somewhere where you go, where you're just in awe of the track, then you've got to say Suzuka and Spa. Mm. So, but um, I loved Adelaide. Yeah. Mm. I've never never been to Adelaide. I've done... Um, I've done Montreal and I've done my, my favorite at the moment is Austin purely because um, it's, it's one of those that the, the city is fun and a bit odd. And the Sunday night in Austin is just unbelievable. It's it, the, the post race celebrations there are so fun. The bars are brilliant. The people are friendly. I've, I've had so many good nights in Austin, yeah. um, but it's always interesting to hear where people like. Yeah. Now, one thing I'm really curious about, Austin. have you been to Ego's bar in Austin? A cowboy no. karaoke bar. Oh, you've got to go. You haven't no. lived if you haven't been to Egos. That is the best place. Forget Pete's Piano Bar. Forget that. I, I don't like Pete's. I don't like Pete's. Pete, Pete's is too busy, too noisy. I'm too yeah. old for that now. I can't cope with it. I like the blind pig and usually end up blind drunk and yeah. sort of cowering in a corner by 2 a.m. <laughs> 
But um, I'll, I'll try that one out. Caroline, you've been eager. I have, you, yes, yes. Living in America, I love getting over to Austin. Amazing. It is. And it's down and dirty and cheap and you can- Karaoke. Cari- mm-hmm. Cowboy karaoke. Mm-hmm. T- t- Hats are welcome. Hats are welcome. What's what? Okay, both of you. Then, what's your what would be your your go to cowboy karaoke song? Ooh, I love these boots are made for walking. It's old school, classic. It's my it's my yeah. jam. I love that one. Yeah. Oh yeah, God. Um, oh, that's put me on the spot. I usually live. <laughs> I, 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 I sing in Japan. But I don't, in, in this place, they are oh. so good in egos. The people who go up there, they are amazing. You're they're professionals. <laughs> well, I mean, at some point, I'm going to make Caroline sing because Ca- Caroline, you're you're trained, aren't you? You know, you you've got a theatrical yes, background, but so. not necessarily in country. I was more classically, so oh. there'll be some nice vibrato in there. <laughs> well, w- weirdly enough, I've I've got an album that no one will ever find, but I recorded an album when I was 14 years old. It's a choir boy one. It's not cool. But an album nonetheless. So I'm just going to leave that there. I'm just going to leave that, leave that there. Um, and I, I want to know um, what life was like in the paddock in 1985. So I've, I've, I've worked in Formula One since 2005. I've been to lots of different paddocks, but I, I only know that sort of relatively modern side of the sport. How can you sort of visualize a 1985 paddock for us? Another short interruption to remind you to check out paulos.com the man behind some incredible pieces, including two stunning bronze statues of the late great Ayrton Senna, which he made working with the most prestigious bronze foundry on the planet. But he does way more than just sculptures. Oh yes, his canvas artwork has been showcased all around the world at F1 races, galleries, and in private collections. If you'd like to speak to Paul about a project, please, please do reach out to us directly and we'll put you in touch. You might even benefit from a tidy little motor mouth discount. Right, back to the show. Yeah. Um, as you say, you see the, the modern day motorhomes that you know, I remember when, when they first started, uh, the McLaren one was, was, was named a brand centre, not a motorhome. But in those days, every team had a Winnebago. We had a married couple who would drive it from race to race. And they all used to follow each other and stay at campsites. So they're all friends, stay at campsites between the races. They'd arrive there. They'd make the sandwiches they're you know we were we, we, we were sitting was where they slept um yeah and that that basically was it we didn't have we didn't have lots of hospitality and things if they come along yeah well you can have a beer and you can have a sandwich there was there wasn't the lavish silver service and you know the the bars and that it was it was very 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 basic i mean i worked out of the back of the truck the truck was where the drivers changed, did their debriefing and everything. And I actually stood next to the guy who was mending the gearboxes on a little bit of, of, of um, bench top with my, with my portable typewriter. I'd have a photocopier there, which I always knew if the engineers had touched it because it was broken. <laughs> always broke it. And that's what it was. It was you, you all used the back of the truck. And the motorhome was just, you know, and you went and had the sandwiches. For yourself personally, was it more fun in 1985 or do you think it's more fun now as someone working in it? I, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's different. It's different today. It was fun then and it's still fun now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think we're evolving. Mm-hmm. 
F1 never stands still. And I just like to think you just go with the flow and whatever's happening now, that's great. And and it's good for the sport that it doesn't stand still. I mean, somebody said to me, a very good friend of mine who I work with said, you should never live in the past, but learn from the past. Mm. And that to me is very important. I've learned everything along the way, but I'm always looking forward to the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 funny, isn't it? You talk about, you know, doing your work in the in the paddock in 1985 with your portable typewriter. I mean, you know, now everyone's just walking around with this little tiny phone in their hands, and you know, it's it's job done, isn't it? But you, it's amazing how things change. I mean, Caroline is a great case study of how things have changed because you know, 1985, 19, well, even 2005. I would not have done, no. I wouldn't exist in 1985 with what I'm doing now. No, no, no. <laughs> well, there's that, there's that, but it, but it, it's, that's also but true, you, but you wouldn't, you know, these, this whole content creation influencer thing that's, that's happening. Thanks to things like drive to survive. The, the sport is so, so different and you've got to move with the times, haven't you? Or I suppose you just get left behind. Yeah. And, and social media is king. You have to have your social. I mean, in my days it was, it was whoever, you know, Oh, look, you know, the end of the week we'd get autosport and see what they'd written you know the newspapers but it, it you know now it's instantaneous so you've got to be over that you've got to have content you've, you've got to have funny things you've got to have lando norris doing funny things you've got to have carlos science doing funny things you've got to entertain because you've got to keep up with the young people and that's what that's how they want to learn about formula one so that's what we have to do we have to give them the content they want you know the drive to survive you know the podcasts i mean this sort of thing everything is what you do is is what the the next generation of Mm -hmm. fans want yeah speaking of keeping with the times modern f1 is pretty focused around inclusivity and diversity and some of these big social issues but and correct me if i'm wrong but that has not always been the case um when when you were around in the 80s how was that for you those words didn't exist in the 80s yeah we didn't know about them. And I'll put my hand up and say, from the first day I worked in this sport to now, I've never, ever had a problem being female or anything at all. Um, That's amazing. A lot of people would say things or do things those days that would be frowned on in this in this day and age. You know, somebody would pat you on the bottom or they'd call you love or they'd, you know, pinch your bottom or something and yeah you didn't you didn't take it as, a, as an insult mm-hmm. and if you did you just you just put your elbow in them and said don't you do that again we didn't have this thing and as I say the I think the diversity thing is is very important that we have become a very white male sport uh and I I love it when I see a Japanese a Chinese I see Lewis Hamilton I see people of you know, black people every colour. I think that's lovely. And I because I you know, we, we need to be out there entertaining everybody and then wanting to be part of us, not thinking, oh, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, uh, uh but yeah, then again, you know, it's it's good that these things are addressed and that you now look at and you whether you put on the TV and watch the presenters or whether you look in the garage, you see a lot of different people and obviously a lot more women who are there working in very different roles. In my day, you did catering or you did PR. Nowadays, you're engineers, you're strategists. I was talking to Bernie Collins yesterday. I mean, great lady. Yeah. You know, clever people. It's like... 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Probably because nowadays, you know, in those days, I think people would have been shocked that, you know, a woman would be doing this thing like that. They wouldn't think, they wouldn't think that a woman would want to do that. And I don't think it's, it, they would have stopped a woman doing that. But I don't think that it wasn't what people went out and said, look, women can do this. You know, go to university and take this course. No, it was, there's a course for women, there's a course for men. So, yeah, I, I, I love the way it's going. Uh, but, yeah, in my day, those words didn't exist. Well, they did, but we didn't know that they, yeah. That they were yeah, about it's, us. It's kind yeah. of refreshing to hear that that sort of view. Um, you know, it is such a hot topic now about, you know, inclusivity and, and you know, women particip- participation in, in the sport and we'll talk more about W series and things like that a little bit later on, but I wanted to touch on one of the drivers that you've worked with, um, Mr. Mr. Lance Stroll. Now we, we, we see more of the drivers than we have historically in Bernie's day. They were put behind a, you know, their visor and you didn't really get access to them, but it had that sort of air of like these godly people that we never saw as the public. We, we see a bit more of them now, but I think people like Lance Stroll, we still don't really know. And, and, and my sort of case, case in point with this is, um, Sebastian Vettel, when he, when he was in his prime, everyone hated him. He was a villain, you know, and he did certain things that people really didn't like. And gradually over the years, he sort of become everyone's favorite, favorite guy. What's, what's Lance like as an individual behind all the money, get rid of all that stuff. What's he like? He's just a very nice, respectful person. I had no problem working with him. He was, he was always good. If I ever, you know, if we ever didn't want to do something and I'd say, look, you should, he would listen to me. Um, but you know, the, the dreadful campaign of people, you know, rich kid, that sort of thing, it hurt him. And it, I just felt so, so for him because he'd done nothing wrong. You know, as we say, it was an accident of birth, but for some reason he was the one who got more dreadful social media comments than any, I mean, I, you know, there, I've worked with billionaires sons. I worked with Pedro Dinitz. I worked with Nicholas Latifi. Uh, but Lance was the one they really went for. I suppose because his father is so involved in what he does, where, you know, sort of the, the, the Pedro's and, and Nicholas's fathers aren't, you don't see them so much. But he's just a very decent, nice person who was totally underrated. They didn't give him the chance. He came in young, you know, came in from F3, and everybody was on his back straight away, and and it it hurt him. But and so if he became a little distant, it was because you know why should you when people are just treating you that way? But I, I've got a lot of time for him, and I th- and I've got a lot of time for him as a driver. Mm. Do you ever feel like you take on almost 
a counselor role with some of these drivers as they're going through these things and you're almost, I don't know, being their emotional support as much as you're being their PR support? Uh, yeah, I mean, there have been some drivers that, you know, you, you, you can see when they're down if things are going wrong in, in all forms of motorsport. Uh, I mean, and you just have to, they have a bad day and you have to make, try and say to them, look, just because you've had a bad day doesn't mean you're a bad driver. Everybody has a bad day, you know. You look at tennis, cricket, football, they all have off days. And, you know, the stresses and strains on you driving that car and you have a bad day, but, you know, uh, you know you're, not, you're not suddenly a different person. So yeah, it's, it's a, and you can tell when it's getting to them and, and you feel for them because it's now it's so out there with, because they, you know, they can't walk anywhere without somebody taking a picture, putting it on social media and, you know, like, you know, Lewis, I mean, suddenly everybody's saying, oh, well, look at what he's wearing. Good for him. Wear what you mm-hmm. like, Lewis. Yeah. And why should people criticise what you wear if you're comfortable in it? And I think it's great showing your personality that way. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing a ridiculous cap that's for someone <laughs> I, half my age. I was about to I, mention it. I was about to, yeah, was about to get I, one, I, one of my what? caps and put it on and say, look, I can, I well, can outdo you. Well, this I've got loads of caps because I – but. The reason I got this one in particular, I was at Silverstone the other day and I went with my middle son for race day and we were sat up at um, Chapel and it's an uncovered grandstand and the sun came out and I was absolutely burning to a crisp. So I went down to the little store to buy this. 50 quid, (laughs) this bloody McLaren hat. And it had this, for those who, I mean, no one can see me, but I'm wearing this cap. It's got this horrible camouflage thing on the, under the peak. And and it is for someone who's 16. And um, my wife said to me today when I was walking around town, she's like, you do realize you look ridiculous, but I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. So, look, I'm, you know. I'm a bucket hat fan. Mm-hmm. I would oh, wear nice. a bucket hat every day if I could. I mean, I, I'll perhaps go, I've got a Paul Ricard one over there and I should go and put it on and then I can match you. I, I feel like you should. I feel like you should put it right, on. Bucket hats, are, they're really the style now. I definitely yeah. think. I definitely think you could rock bucket it. Bucket hats are cool. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Lando's made them cool, is not yes, he? Yes, he has. That's his, his thing. Yeah. I need to get a bucket hat, actually, but that doesn't cover enough of my face. I, I, my pale English skin needs needs cover. There we Beautiful. go. Look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. You can do that. But... I like that a lot. No, I, 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 yeah, I, I love my bucket hats. Mm. <laughs> Caroline, I feel like you need a hat. See, yeah, my head, I have a small head and I feel like when you see it in proportion to my body, you don't head. realize it, but I have a really small head. So bucket hats come down to like my eyes. So I'm looking <laughs> like this every time I wear one. It's great. <laughs> oh, where have we gone? Where, what, what's happened? <laughs> yeah. um, let, let's bring it back. Let's, let's bring it back. I mean, it, I'm going to lower the tone completely and, and, and um, make everyone feel sad and emotional because um, the next thing we wanted to touch on before we, we got lost in bucket hats is, is 1994. Now, a, a year that everyone remembers, one that will live long in your memory, I'm sure. You had the joy of working with Ayrton Senna. Unfortunately, you were also there when he passed away after his fatal crash. Before we come on to that part, on the positive side, what was he like as an individual? Because we see, sort of see these documentaries and he's got this sort of status, this sort of glow and aura around him. What, was it like that at the time? Did you feel he was something special? Well, one thing you have to realise that I actually did work with him in 1986 at Lotus. It was a through the agency. When Tony Jardine left, that was a bigger account, so they put me on the JPS account for a year. So I worked with him and, and Johnny Dumfries. Um, so I'd known him pre-World Championships and then post-World Championships. And he, there were two very different Ayrtons. 
because totally, I mean, it was so tunnel vision in 86. He obviously, like all drivers have a belief in their own abilities, and he was so determined. I mean, I, I mean, okay, you know, we didn't have all the 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 schedules you have these days, and say you're going to talk to the media for 15 minutes there and that sort of thing. I had to grab him when I couldn't. I could, I'd have journalists waiting two hours to do an interview he had agreed to do because he was getting lost in talking to the engineers. Um, and so I wouldn't say it was difficult, but he was so focused on getting himself to where he felt he needed to be. Come 94, he didn't need to prove anything. Um, so a lot more relaxed, but a very spiritual person, very... It introverted in some ways. You could see that he he things meant a lot to him. Um, yeah, I mean he, he's. I won't say complicated. More that just he 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 thought about things very deeply. But as I say, spiritual, kind, nice person could be very very funny. You know, like to like to tell a joke and those sort of things. So, yeah, I mean it was a obviously. The saddest thing was that he'd come to us expecting to, you know, emulate what Nigel and Alan had done. And suddenly we had this problem. Um, and, you know, trying to get his head around that and his, his early races were just a nightmare. Uh, so, yeah, it was um, it was a difficult one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to, to, it was an honour to have worked with him. So the day that he crashed must have been a really difficult day. Would you say the emotions were high and that it was one of the hard, would you say it's the hardest day of your career? Was there a day that was harder? Oh, without, without doubt. Uh, and I'll, I'll say one thing that Frank gave me some very, very good advice that day because we were all highly emotional and you know we knew it was serious and Frank, oh, yeah, he was in a wheelchair. So he, you know, he'd been, he'd been through this. He'd, he'd lost Piers courage. So yeah, and I remember going into the motorhome and we were discussing, sort of talking about it. And he just he just said to me, and then if you think you're gonna cry, put your sunglasses on. Mm. And it was it was it was a bit good advice because we'd all got to keep that selves in check because we were we were working, we were we would we'd got to deal with the media, we'd got to deal with what was going on. Um it was very, it was very, very difficult. And but also I had to remember that we had mechanics there. Who were standing there wondering if it was something they had done wrong that had Aww. caused that crash? And that's what so many people stand. You say, "Oh, you know, how was it for you?" I said, "No, it was for the guys who were working on the car that we had to give care to because the, you know, the media were on overdrive, you know, trying to find out what happened. And these guys were standing there thinking that was the car, and of course, they, the car was no, you know, they took the car away, and they didn't." They never you know, didn't see it, and it was kept in that garage, and, and you know, I think it's still rotting there somewhere. I mean, they never got it back, sort of thing. But yeah, it, there was a, there was a people who were doing a job for their driver, and suddenly they were wondering, was it me? You know, so you've got you've got to think of you've got to think. You know, like today we always think of people, you know, the mental problems and those sort of things, and we had to think of that. You know, because eventually mm-hmm. they could be they could just not no you know being pieces and so it was more keeping the media away from them so they didn't hassle them and things like that so um yeah it's um it was it was it was tough and we all we all flew back that night 
having known he'd died and they were on the flight. We got Damon on the flight. We went into a Gatwick and the, the people were great because they called me up on the flight and said, look, the place is besieged with cameras, crews, those sort of things. Um, yeah, so I, I actually got off and, and they, they let me off early and a friend picked my baggage and I went out and said to the crews, look, I will talk to you. I will give you an interview. I'll do whatever you want, but please don't try and stop any of those guys getting off, please, because they're, they're not, you know, and they were they were very respectful. Whether they do that in this day and age, they were very respectful. They stood back, they let them all go, and then we stayed and, 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 and chatted. Did you Did you guys at that point understand what he would go on to become after his death? Because, you know, he, he is revered now. Did you feel that at that time? I think we did. I think we knew. Brazil loves its its heroes. I mean, you look at the Pele's and that. Brazil, there's a lot of people in Brazil, and we obviously we were going to Rio and a lot, and we saw the poverty. We saw we saw the favelas and and the people who Ayrton was God to them. He could he because he he wasn't from a particularly wealthy family. He wasn't you know he wasn't a Pedro Diniz. He hadn't got a billionaire father. And they saw if if somebody from, I say humble, relatively humble, could make it to that, so so could you know it, it, so could they all. He was he was doing, and he was so patriotic for Brazil, so patriotic, and I think that was the thing that they all saw him as as yeah he he he, he if he can do it we can and and he was there putting Brazil who who you know the Brazil pe- people you know. People say, well, you be careful when you go to Brazil, you'll get mowed, you'll get this, you'll get that. So apart from the fact that isn't it lovely to go to, to Copacabana, those sort of things, it didn't have the most amazing reputation of a, a safe, nice place to go. It's fascinating. Really interesting to hear about. And and um, it must be strange to think back all those years ago and sort of reminisce about these things. When you, and, and I guess a sort of pinch, pinch me moment in it to a degree to, to have been there and watch it all unfold. You know, you must have seen some incredible things over the years. Um, we're we're going to push it on a little bit and we're, we're not going to cover half of what we, we plan to cover because time is we're, we're, time is literally <laughs> flying by. Yeah, no, it's, it's about, we're going to have to do a part two. <laughs> um, but um, I'm curious to get a bit more insight into um, the, the non-F1, Anne. So what, what do you do, apart from, you know, sporting bucket hats, what, what do you do outside of race? What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Well, um, I've got two dogs called Elvis and Priscilla. Solid. So they, they, they keep me occupied. They're only little Pekingese, so we don't Pekingese. go running around long walks. Um, yeah, I love gardening. I've got a garden. I love Indian cooking. Um, yeah, I, I, a friend bought me this Indian cookbook and said, try this. And he loves it because of course he gets, gets lots of Indian meals, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I read, I, I love, I love, I'm old fashioned. I like reading books. I don't read them on my Kindles and I, I, lo- I love I love newspapers and yeah I mean mm-hmm. it's a I'm in a little tiny village that's that's quite it's got everything you need so I'm yeah I'm 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 sort of when I'm not away I'm I'm doing things around the house and around you know around the garden and things like that so it's a I've got a third of an acre that drives me crazy. <laughs> Do you have a signature Indian dish that you feel like you've perfected? Uh, yeah, I mean whenever anybody comes, I always make them onion barges. Mm. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Always, I always make them onion barges and a dal. And I've got a, I, I mean, I've, I've got a, a tamarind and coconut dish that I that that I do because it's very good. It can have chicken, it can have fish, or you know, paneer. So it's it's a it's perhaps one I usually do most because if if somebody comes and they say, well, you know, I I don't like fish, I don't like chicken, or I'm, I'm vegetarian or vegan, I can I can make anything with that. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. No, I, I did make I did make the mistake of making black dal once, but it took me twenty four hours. And I, Ooh. <laughs> You'll have to edit out my tummy rumbling because it's yeah. making me hungry. <laughs> I I love Indian. I'm I'm not far from Cambridge. I'm you know Bedfordshire. <laughs> I can get over there. In He's half inviting an hour, himself so. over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you can whip up a gel frazy, I'm 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 yours. There you go. There you go. <laughs> all right then. So you so you're a good cook. You 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 garden. I didn't you have a good what, cook. I just I enjoy cooking. You, you enjoy cooking. <laughs> what what are you completely crap at? What what are you rubbish at? Technology. Didn't you notice? Mm. Trying to get me on to Chrome and <laughs> you I'm, made well, it. You did, you did it. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm pretty bad at, t- at technology. I can't sing, and I don't. You know, you know, people say that I sing in the shower. I don't because I offend myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, that's that's. And you know, though I love my gardening, I do kill things. Yeah, I do. I mean, my my garden's a mess. I've got a new puppy, and it's dug up holes in the garden. So I've I've given up. I just, you know, it's, it's a complete disaster area. I just ignore it yeah. now. Um, okay, if, if before we come on, to, we have a final three questions, Anne, which we ask all of our guests all of the time. Caroline, I haven't briefed you on these, so we're just going to have to wing it. But right. um, if you, before we come on to those, if you could be a press officer for any driver, any era, who would it be and why? Ooh. Ronnie Peterson. He was my first real motor racing hero. I mean, I've seen, I saw Jim Clark drive a, a, a Lotus Cortina at, at, at Snetton and things like that. But Ronnie Peterson just got my imagination. I thought he was a great driver. Met him. He was a lovely person. And I just thought he he, he was a, he was the package. I, I just liked him. I just liked his whole way of how he was. And I was very thrilled to have met him. And and also his his daughter. I got I got to know her well when I lived in Oxford. And uh, yeah. Oh no. I thought he was he was I and mean, he was very handsome. I love how there was no hesitation. She immediately knew what the answer was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, straight. Oh, that's perfect. In there. <laughs> um, one more before we come on to our final three. Um, now, you've started working with Matt Bishop, who we've also had on the show some time ago. Um, you know, one of the most, probably one of the most influential um, communications people in Formula One. He started a business called Diagonal Communications, which you're involved with. Just very quickly, what gives the elevator pitch on Diagonal? Well, basically, Matt suddenly came to me one day and said, I found these people who are willing to back me, uh, which, of course, anybody with any sense would back him because he's so professional, and said, you know, we want to just go out there and not be an enormous agency, but but go and offer some very bespoke comms to, to, to could be drivers, could be teams, you know, could be sponsors. Um, yeah, and, and say I worked with him at W Series. I mean, I've known him for years and, yeah, it, it just seemed a, a nice fit. And Joe Downs, who also with us in uh, in W Series, and, and a guy called Tim Holmes, who's a motorsport Englishman. I don't, it's just one of those things we thought, well, you know, you've got a lot of big agencies around doing things, but why not just have a smaller one, a boutique agency, as, as Matt calls it. Um, we've all got we've all got contacts. We've all got people who you know, get us to do work for them. So why don't we just join forces? Then whoever wants it has got, it's got four rather than one. 
Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, make, makes total sense. Makes total sense. And I, I know the guys that are, uh, are supporting it and backing it. They're they're a good group of people. So you, you've got yourself in with some good ones there. Now um, it is time for our final three, which is brought to us by our our brilliant show sponsor, Mr. Paul Oz. Make sure you head to pauloz.com to see his amazing art and F1 sculptures. And actually, I think finally next week we're in a position where we'll um, launch our competition with Paul. So um, on social media, we'll be running a competition. You can win a absolutely stunning i think it's a senna painting on canvas oh, wow. which is worth a huge amount of money and um, paul's going to do it it's an original and we're going to give that away to one of our listeners so stay tuned to social media um next week to to see the uh the well, how you enter that competition um now caroline so th- you, you won't know this uh, unless you've listened to our show which presumably you yes, have yes i have hopefully we have a final three questions that we ask all of our guests. I'm going to throw it straight to you right. to kick off with question number one. All right. So, Miss Anne, what has got you really excited at the moment? It could be anything. Oh, I think the way that Formula One is growing, um, that people like Ford, Audi, Honda are coming back in. And I just, I just think, I think whatever, you see a lot of criticism, but the future for Formula One, I'm very excited about because it's growing and um, I just think that, that those people going to come in for the future is going to be incredibly exciting. It is a big question these days whether yeah. or not people think it's going to continue to grow at the rate that it's been growing. I want to throw it to you and just ask, do you think that the rate is going to decrease but still continue to grow or that we're going to plateau or decline? What's your take? Well, I, I think we're going to continue to grow because I think that Formula One are doing all the right things. I mean, obviously, we have drive to survive. I mean, you in America know how much that has played an important part in making sure that you go to Austin, Miami, obviously Vegas, and the, the, the crowds will come in. I mean, I've been to some pretty poor pr- attended F1 races in the in the States in the past. You know, I remember Phoenix and things like that. But nobody understood F1. I think that, that, yeah, I think because I think that we're getting out there, social media, drive to survive. And as I said before, those big manufacturers coming back in will only do power of good because they, 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 they're not going to come in if they don't see a way of using it as a marketing tool to get to their audiences yeah. to sell cars. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Um, second one for you. How much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much do you put down to sheer hard work and grafting? Oh, I've always been in the right place at the right time. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've, I've been lucky. I mean, I work, posit- I work quite hard, yeah, you know. But you do when you're enjoying yourself, you know. So, but no, I mean, I, I've... I've had some great opportunities, people coming along, and I still have. I mean, even yesterday I was offered some more work and things like that. I've just, I have been in the right place at the right time um, and then had the opportunity to do things that I've enjoyed. So, yeah, that's been, I've been very lucky. Yeah. It's hard to be wanted, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so to kind of bring it down a little bit, what are you scared of? Oh, gosh, what am I scared of? Um, don't like wasps. Me neither. I'm and, allergic and I can't, I'll can't. i die if I get one oh, too close sure, to me. Bro. So I feel I that. I'm, I'm <laughs> a snake. I mm. found a snake last year on my doorstep lying there in the sun. And I, and it, 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 I, I did say to somebody, oh, well, it, it, it got itself away because it was more frightened of me than I was. Of it. <laughs> That's not true. I was terrified. <laughs> I can, 
I cannot go into a, a snake house for any minute. I just yeah, hate reptiles. That's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. I, I, wasps. I do you know what? We've never had wasps before. It's the first wasps in 160 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, oh, oh, I love bees. I mean, my garden's mm-hmm. full of flowers for bees, but wasps, I think they are they, that, that, unnecessary. They are unnecessary. Agreed. A bit like pigeons. What's the point of pigeons? Someone tell me the point yeah. of a pigeon. Yeah, precisely. Especially if, if, if they're bad for you, Caroline, I'm... I'm yeah. anti wasps even more. Yes, down with the wasps, up <laughs> yeah. with the bees. With That's yeah. how we feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's been um, an absolute joy hearing from you. Um, as I've said, we, we've literally covered probably less than half of the the topics that we wanted to, but we've already kept you for for the best part of an hour. So I'm I'm going to let you go. But listen, best of luck with Matt and the communications business. Sounds really exciting. Um, best of luck with all your future endeavors in and around the F1 paddock. I'm sure we'll see you around soon. But for now, thank you so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. It's been a pleasure and thank you for inviting me. And uh, it's been a great chat. So thank you. I'll be around for my curry later. I was going to say, I'll be keeping my out for Miss Anne's Indian cookbook yeah. coming out well, in yeah. a year in the future. I, c- I can do a takeaway. Perfect. Oh, she doesn't Perfect. want. She doesn't want me there. She doesn't want me. She wants. <laughs> she wants to send me a takeaway. Oh, no, fine. No, you can come up because I'm quite near Peterborough. So if you're Bedford here, you can just pop up. Fine. No, Caroline's going to get a takeaway sent to America. Thank Might you so much. Might be a so bit soggy much. by the time it gets there, but it'll get there. And yeah. I'll eat it. I promise. As long as it doesn't have wasps <laughs> in it. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to head to paulos.com and find him on all the usual social platforms to discover his incredible artwork. A massive thanks once again to Paul for joining us as a partner on the show. And as mentioned earlier, we'll be running a promotion with him to offer one lucky listener a special Paul Oz original. So keep an eye out for that on socials. More information coming really soon. For now, though, please continue to subscribe, review wherever you listen, and tell your friends to check out the Motormouth podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.